Kia ora everyone, welcome back to This Is Our Story. You've got me again doing the intro. Uh, welcome back to Kieran. Well, hello there, and <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to waste any time uh, this no time. No time to so, waste, no yes. dilly-dallying. We're going to jump into straight into story time, and uh, Kieran was wanting to talk a little bit about some of his hobbies. I feel like mine have sort of been the same over the years so I don't know how interesting mine will be but um, tell us a bit about yours over the years Kieran. Well I was just reflecting as we were reflecting just offline isn't it funny how well when you're young you just have shit loads of hobbies it's like we never have any free time right yeah. and then the older you get the more time technically you have to kind of spend doing quote unquote fun stuff and yet we don't they all these hobbies just kind of fall away and we end up just I don't know sleeping and scroll <laughs> doom scrolling on Instagram <laughs> or watching Netflix <laughs> that's uh, a hobby yeah. though isn't it <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I did actually have quite a few different hobbies over the years uh, when I was young I was very into I don't know when this began but I was really into collecting stamps uh, I had a big collection of stamps and my, um, my grandma would pass on any stamps that she came across uh, even years after I stopped being interested in, in them she'd still pass me her collection of stamps I Do still have it? them somewhere <laughs> <laughs> I, nothing I think that's probably when it stopped when I figured out that collecting stamps was the least cool, cool thing you could possibly do <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was ever cool no uh, I also had a coin collection I still have those, actually, with some old coins, uh, a couple of hundred years old, actually. Uh, I got into comics for a while, which we touched on. That I mean, I really loved reading, of course. But yeah, I, I used to steal your comics all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to collect these particular war comics <clears throat> uh, for many, many years. And I had hundreds of them, with the Commando comics, which we have mentioned before. What else have I got here? Oh, yeah, Whales. I was really into whales, still love whales, but um, <laughs> perhaps not as passionately. In fact, I was really, really into Greenpeace back in the 80s until <laughs> mum had a awakening that perhaps Greenpeace, they probably weren't the best role models for a young person <laughs> when they started getting all militant and, and um, questionable, questionable in the way that they protested and things. Uh, but that's what actually precipitated our visit to rescuing those beached whales yeah. um, when we were very young, which was pretty cool memory. It was a core memory. I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. In the far north, up near Kaitaia, I seem to remember some pilot used, whales. Yeah, the army trucks, I think they, mm. they they'd beached themselves and we were able to sit on the back of the army trucks and I don't know how yeah. they, they got them on the trucks or something, didn't they? I can't remember. Yeah, very, very, very vague memories. But we had to keep them wet. Mm, <laughs> that yeah. was our job. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, apart from that, also was really into models, um, except it kind of fell over because <laughs> I loved – I loved <laughs> Like Pamela Anderson style? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, can you imagine me sneaking a poster of <laughs> Pamela Anderson into the house? Probably not. <laughs> I was far too I was far too geeky for <laughs> hot models. <laughs> <laughs> Only the plastic type. Although oh, to be okay. fair, Pamela's probably also a bit plastic. So <laughs> yeah, fifty percent plastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, I was into uh, war crafting war models. I used to get the kits and then glue them all together. And then I did try painting them at one stage, but I was such a perfectionist back then that I just gave up very, very quickly because if I ever went over or painted the wrong part with a different colour, it was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just basically never touch it again. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I spent quite a bit of mum and dad's money on those models. <laughs> You used to do them with um, balsa wood ones too, didn't you? I made a few planes, yeah. I don't, I don't think it was very good, to be honest. I was just more into the, the war aspect of the whole thing. Uh, I mean, once I got older into my teenage years, that those things just kind of fell away when I realised they weren't exactly conducive to making friends. <laughs> uh, but I probably just focused more on playing a lot of different sports. And, and then, of course, once I got into music, that was most of my time and energy and of course once i got into church as well because that took church took up so much time i didn't really have a lot of spare time to focus on other random pursuits um and i don't think it even really bothered me at the time just mm. was all focused on being on fire for jesus <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean yeah, what, i think mine you, yeah. yeah i've been uh, pretty steadfast throughout my whole life and um, no surprises, it was horses, and my room was covered Gosh, in ceiling to, <laughs> ceiling to floor with horse posters. And I used yeah, to maybe them. you'd get the magazines and then yeah. rip them apart. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> every month we, I had a magazine subscription, and I used to pull out, they had a, the centre so part of the magazine. Horse and was, Pony, was it? Yeah, pull out the centre of it with all the posters and get them straight up on my wall. Actually, I have got some photos of my room with some. Maybe I'll share that on the on the mm. podcast Instagram. But <laughs> yeah, that's kind of been my um my hobbies throughout my whole life. But other than that, sort of more into my adulthood, I guess I got into just a love of Drinking. exploring and <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> as you heard in the last one. Since I left home, although after that last story I told, yeah, I kind of went off it for a little bit, <laughs> understandably. But yeah, just um, when I first moved to London, it was just so exciting exploring. I guess you can call that a hobby. Just we had a, a love of adventure, you know, instilled in us from from young children. So, and yeah, I kind of got into fitness a bit too. Whereas I'd never, ever, ever, ever been into fitness before. Any kind of exercise, I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> you were like the anti-sport person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I was always a bigger girl when I was younger too, and I just was like, you know, never the one picked for the for the teams of anything in school, or which was I was okay <laughs> with that because I didn't want to play anyway. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much sort of been my my hobby mm. throughout. Mm. But I suppose like we we can probably segue straight into the episode proper. We've got quite a, a lot to cover, so I didn't want to. Hang around in this part of the episode for too for too long, but we're just going to start with you, Briar, because when we finished up with your last part of the story, you had just moved to from Perth to London. The last thing we heard from you was that you'd gone from what a forty degree day to a zero degree day arriving mm. in London. Yeah. So I don't know, just carry on from there and tell us a little bit about what your experience was when you first landed how, how did you feel when you first got to London you'd gone from you kind of were upsizing going obviously to Perth but then going from Perth to London is just it's another world in oh, many many different shapes and yeah forms. 
and it was actually quite a culture shock too. Like, you know, you, you think they're both Western countries, right? But it actually was so different mm. to anything I'd experienced before, even in Perth. I think it was like the week before Christmas we arrived. And so there was just this buzz in the air. It was cold. And mm. the first time experiencing, you know, like a winter Christmas, which is part of the reason why um, <clears throat> we were insisting on leaving Perth to go to London was so we could have a, you know, we dream about a white Christmas. And, um, yeah, we went down like Oxford Street, which if you don't know London, mm. it's like the yes. – busiest street in london probably especially Central. at that time of year yeah and it's fully the streets are fully decorated like the english really get into into christmas so that was just <clears> like <throat> i was like a deer in headlights it was like whoa <laughs> going down there like you couldn't even walk on the streets there was that many people just you sort of had to elbow your way through the crowds um but it was so exciting mm. and um i was with my husband at the time and we were staying with his sister who had lived there for quite a few years and she'd recently just had a, a, a child might have been her second child. I can't remember. And so we were staying with them for the first month, but it got a bit awkward because we, I guess they wanted their space back and I think we'd outstayed our welcome a little bit, but we were struggling to find an apartment and we didn't have any money to be honest. We stupidly moved because although we were earning good money in, in Perth, we didn't – we were stupid. We just <laughs> spent it all pretty much before we got there. Did, um, did you actually go there with any kind of plan about what you were going to do? Um, no, not a whole lot. I mean, we were still young, so we were just like, yeah, you know, let's just wing it. Um, it'll be fine. We've got family there. And to be honest, we wouldn't have survived if it wasn't for his family. So we spent the first month there, and then we were struggling to find um, – an apartment or a place to live because you had to put like a quite a large deposit. So in the UK, people get paid monthly. So you pay all your bills monthly. So usually all the flats or accommodation, you had to pay like a month, a month's worth of rent and then two weeks in advance, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, so it was a huge amount of money and going from obviously dollars to pounds that cut what little money we had in half anyway at that time. So we were struggling and then, my husband's sister said, look, we'll pay for your first month's rent. Basically, if you get out of our house now, we'll pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> so but it was so stressful. So we still couldn't find anywhere. And in the end, we spent like a week or two weeks in a, um, uh, like a ho not a hotel, like a, I don't know, this really nasty, grimy, let's call it like a motel, but it was basically an old house or like a, bed and breakfast kind mm. of thing without the breakfast it was gross anyway and it was cold and it was so expensive we spent two weeks there and managed to find somewhere so how, how long were you staying with his sister for a month a month right yeah and so it's like right in the middle of winter and i mean i've been there in winter time yeah. it's pretty dark and depressing and mm. uh i mean it's all kind of romantic at first but then mm. <laughs> especially in that kind of situation yeah. I don't know. Did, were you kind and of? That, that, did you feel any regrets about being there? I, I guess we we both kind of realised we probably should have waited longer in Perth before, but but given the situation in Perth that we'd had a falling out with my auntie and we didn't want to be in that position anymore, I think that motivated us to try and leave as soon as we could. 
um, and we just fell in from one bad situation to another, really. So they they lived outside of London in Essex, which they lived in a very affluent area. Her husband was like uh, a vascular surgeon, you know, good mm. money. They had good money. So it offered to pay for a month's worth of rent for us, and we were very grateful. Um, and in the end, we did find somewhere, thank goodness. And, yeah, it wasn't the most ideal place. We were flatting with other people. And, and it was in an area of London, East London, which wasn't that desirable, a bit bit of a dodgy area, but um, we sort of settled in anyway and struggled to find work to begin with. And yeah, so the first six months actually was quite hard living in London. And there was times in those first six months where you'd be looking on the street for coins or mm. money that people had dropped. And back then you could survived pretty cheaply like 10 pounds could have mm. bought us nearly a week's worth of now. yeah like a week's worth of groceries like you wouldn't we were eating say porridge for dinner like it was it was fucking tough this like those pretty foods. dire yeah like we would buy stuff like really cheap stuff like bread and porridge and yeah until until we got work um which took a lot longer than we thought so, so, so how long were you both out of work um i got work before my husband, he was a, a cabinetry uh, cabinet maker, so his took a lot longer, whereas I was a qualified nanny, so I, I got work reasonably quickly, but it was, like, not ideal. It was part-time, so it wasn't earning a lot, and the first couple of jobs I had was, like, as a live-in nanny, which, again, wasn't ideal, so I would live with the family during the week, and in the weekend I would come home, um, and that was stressful for both of us and I don't know maybe that sort of caused a little bit of separation in a way like we'd been apart from each other a lot and that was hard when you first move to a big city you don't know anyone and you don't know the city at all so that was really hard but you know we experienced a lot of snow over winter that was cool and the people we were flatting with we made friends with so on at the end of the month, when you'd get paid, you pay rent, and then you'd go to the pub and have a pint, and mm. um, yeah, so it was very up and down. And it took us a while to settle in, actually. And my husband at the time became quite depressed. He found it harder to make friends than I did, and some really low, very low times. And trying to, for myself, I'm I'm more of a naturally more upbeat personality and, and his personality was quite drab and had the tendency towards being down and negative <clears throat> and and so tr- when you're trying to in a relationship uphold somebody else as well as yourself mm. um you can sort of only goes so far well, it's quite exhausting it is it's absolutely mm. exhausting and, and then in a sense like being in a place like london uh you know for myself having done that when you are that type of personality, it's, it can be really tough. And that's why a lot of English people are quite low key, right? They aren't very peppy. And, you know, there is something to be said about being in a, an environment that is sunny and, and you know, that you yeah. can stay out late at night in the sunshine. Yeah. And, and I know people t- talk about it a lot about England being dry, uh, grey and drab and and it does affect your mood, whether you realise mm. it or not. It really does. And the winters are long. You know, it gets dark <clears> around 3 or 4 p.m. Um, doesn't get light till around 8. So the, the hours of light are quite short. 
Um, and when we'd mm. just come from Perth, which is like forever sunny and hot and it was tough. It was really, really tough. And um, so, so how long did it take until you felt like you it's got some kind of momentum? Um, so we, yeah, we moved into 2008. I would say at least, I want to say a year even before we felt <clears throat> kind of like, you know, we both had stable jobs and we had a, a decent apartment and we're starting to make friends. I wouldn't say fully settled, but it definitely felt like it took a year <clears throat> to, yeah, sort of feel like our feet were on the ground. Mm. So what, yeah. like, what were some of the? Okay, I mean, obviously it got pretty dark then as well. But mm. what were some of the highlights of those couple, first couple of years living there? So in the first, I don't know how we afforded it, but in the first six months, we managed to uh, <clears throat> book a trip to Turkey and uh, to Gallipoli. To I'm sure most uh, most people will know the history around Gallipoli for New Zealanders and Australians, where there was a a battle and they fought the Turks. New Zealand and Australia together fought the Turks. A lot of people died, and anyway, so they every year on um, Anzac Day, which was April 25th, people come together from all over the world, Kiwis and Aussies and the Turks as well, to Gallipoli, and we commemorate those who have died, and it's it's an experience I will never ever forget. Like we, you stay the night there, so we took our sleeping bags and we slept outside, and it was freezing, so so cold. Mm. But there's like hundred, like thousands of people there, and you all just sleep on this hillside, and they have this big uh, open air screen where they play throughout the night. They play like documentaries and things around that war. Oh, that battle, and um, and then you do the long walk to is it Shanuk Bear, um, mm-hmm. and during the day it's very very hot too, and you had to carry your sleeping bags and all your gear, but yeah, you're awake for the dawn service, and wow, that was just so emotional. They play the what's it called, the last post, the last post, yeah, yeah, the last post, which is oh, it's so emotional. Just even talking about it just makes you sort of get goosebumps, like hearing. You know, you're in that place where all these people died and hearing that. Thousands post, of people oh, in, in total silence. Yes. Oh, it was incredible. <clears throat> I mean, what an experience. Mm. So we um, after we went to Gallipoli, we spent a bit of time in Turkey. And Turkey's actually a really cool country. Um, went to a few places there and stayed. But, yeah, I don't know how we, how we afforded that in the first six months of being there because, honestly, things are so tight. Must have collected um, a lot of coins. <laughs> yes. But honestly, it was so worth it. And I would love to have gone back again, to be honest. Mm. It was just amazing. Because I remember one one of the things that your partner and I had in common was this interest in war. And uh, we talked about this a lot and history. And so he, he was really big into visiting old battlefields and things, which mm. I remember talking about. And I was quite jealous that you guys got to go on this one and then mm. um, following trips as well, I think, to like Normandy and stuff. Yeah. I was really interested in that that kind of thing. We I've just never had a chance to do it my, myself. But, yeah, Anzac Day is a really big deal, and it's uh, commemorated all across New Zealand and Australia mm. uh, at the same time as um, in Turkey. Yeah, and we met quite a few friends and stuff on that trip, some Kiwis and Aussies. So, actually, that helped us immensely. When we got back to London, we met up with these people again and again, and <clears> we um, – built some really firm friendships so that following year was um a lot of fun actually we 
that was probably a good year, I'd say, 2009. Um, mm. Lots of, you know, going out and drinking because that's kind of the culture with Kiwis and Aussies. And Yeah. Um, but, th- you know, that was okay. We were exploring a new city, meet- meeting these people, and it was just fun, a fun year. Mm. Um, and that's when I'd got a better job and my husband did as well. So things were starting to, you know, sort of a year down the line, start to feel a bit yeah. normal for want of a better word. Yeah. Well, I mean, meanwhile, we're going to switch back to, to my story uh, to kind of cover those same couple of years that you were kind of settling into London life. Uh, so as I covered in the last episode, I'd been in, or my partner and I had been in Sydney for a, a year, 2009. And then at the end of 2009, we moved down to Melbourne to start a new life. And uh, I know it's, I, it feels weird to talk about it now, but we did move around a crazy amount. <laughs> And we just kind of seemed to do it on a whim. But anyway, we got to Melbourne. I don't remember much of the first time except when we first got there, but we didn't have jobs sorted out yet from memory. My partner did end up getting a, a, a teaching job. It was part-time or maternity fill-in or something. And I couldn't find work. And we had similar situation in terms of just could not – I just couldn't get any work. Because I'd abandoned teaching, had already decided I wasn't going back to it. It just meant trying to get just any old random job. And I just really, really struggled. Isn't it funny? Like when you're kind of technically overqualified for all these things that you just cannot get even the most basic job. Um, But I got, I did a little bit of like removals type work just to get some, some cash. We ran out of money a couple of times. In fact, once we we paid our last rent and then we, were, we literally had no money left. Wow. <laughs> there was like nothing, absolutely nothing. And we had no money for groceries or anything. And then someone that we had met at a local church that we had joined. Because, you know, the thing is when you're in in um, Christianity, you know, if you move to a new city, the, one of the first things you do is to try and find a church. And we, we did find this small church that we ended up staying in. And someone from that church came and just bought a whole load of groceries and filled up our fridge. It was like pretty awesome. Mm. Like, I mean, say what you want about religion, but it has some good people, right? Mm. Uh, but momentum kind of built very, very slowly. And so 2010 was a very slow year for me. At some point, I think... Well, I mean, I'd already decided to go back to uni when I moved to Melbourne. And I actually, I had applied for both Sydney Uni and Monash University in Melbourne at the same time. And basically, the my application was accepted for Monash. And that's what kind of sealed the deal for moving to Melbourne. Funnily enough, I did get accepted to Sydney, but it came through a little bit too late. So I've always wondered, you know, how mm-hmm. might my life have been if I'd taken that got that but everything happens for a reason though oh, right I, totally. I believe that what yeah totally it was just a complete we just took a di- completely different path to what it would have been anyway so yeah melbourne life though i went to monash it was quite weird going back to uni again because i was what 24 25 but technically a mature age student <laughs> which was wild i really enjoyed it the second time around because i, I knew what i was doing and my only problem was that in that first year, I worked extra, extra hard uh, when I didn't really need to. Because, you know, first year of uni, it's it's like no one really focuses in the first year. They're all off partying or whatever, except for me because I'm quote unquote mature. mature. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I remember putting in shitloads of work for these uh, like 500 word essays, which is, you know, nothing. Nothing, yeah. Yeah. I made a lot of uh, friends at uni, which is pretty cool. And it's probably the one thing that I miss the most about being in a university environment is the ease of which you make friends. Yeah. Met some really cool people that uh, kind of stayed with me and uh, still am kind of loosely friends with as well. So that was really cool. Uh, but about halfway through the year, this opportunity came up to uh, do some study abroad with through Monash University. So Monash, at least at the time, would give $2,000 to people to go overseas and study at one of their a list of different universities at different parts of the world. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, my God, this is like finally the opportunity I get to go overseas and get paid for it <laughs> it's like my dream scenario right and uh i mean i mean i was as soon as i heard about it i was like holy shit like yes <laughs> i didn't even really think about it uh but of course i had to convince my partner who what was, was actually she was very against it um as you can imagine she she was a very practically minded person so and she didn't pregnant. really like change though did she either yeah i mean if she was very sensible and I have my moments of being sensible, but <laughs> I'm probably more on the impulsive side. Uh, so I was pretty set on going for the sake of adventure. And there were many, many conversations and disagreements and then being open to it and then changing mind and just going through all the very practical step-by-step -step things that would need to happen if we actually went for this. So how did uh, she come around to the idea then? What was the clinching factor i don't know i think so i applied for this it was a grant from monash and in the end i got it because it was based on your your application and then based on gpa uh, and i had a good gpa strangely enough you know strange what happens when you put extra work yeah. in at uni <laughs> uh and i think that was the clincher because it was it was the money it was a practical thing that mm. helped seal the deal i mean two thousand dollars is nothing to be sniffed at right um, and that doesn't go, yeah, I mean, it doesn't go far in, in pounds, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, and I think I, for me, as I'd already shared, I have always wanted to be far afield and, and see the world, right? And I just was, a, I was afraid at this point that I was never, ever going to get that chance to do it. And so, yeah, it was just lots of lobbying on my, on my part, trying to convince my partner that, uh, that we could actually do it. Was that and supposed to be for like a year or was it just? Well, it was only a semester. Oh. It was just one semester. So like it wasn't really a big deal. I, well, I didn't think so at the time. And so, yeah, in the end we committed to it and the, and the knowledge that we were going to come back to Melbourne. And that, I guess that was the, that was the deal coming back to Melbourne. In my, I think in my heart, I didn't really want to come back. I mean, we'd only been in, in Melbourne, well, less than a year by the time we set, you know, confirmed this. So in terms of Melbourne, the place, I I liked it. It was a cool, cool place, but I didn't really know it very well. We lived right on the edge of the city, so I didn't get to go and see much of it. Uh, when I was going to uni, to Monash University, it was, Monash is quite far out from the CBD. So I wasn't really seeing much of what Melbourne had to offer. 
my partner wasn't really into going out and exploring in the same way that I was. Like, from for instance, for me, Melbourne's full of amazing cafes and restaurants and things, right? It's what it's famous for. She wasn't really into that. So she wasn't really know, into anything. No, she wasn't. I was just trying to think, what was she into? <laughs> yeah. Full-time. Not a lot. Not a lot. Uh, <laughs> well, her school was right on the edge of Melbourne, out in Lilydale, which is so far. Like, no one comes out there. Like, like if you make a friend in the city, they're not going to come all the way to Lilydale to say hi. <laughs> it's so no. far out. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't – I wouldn't say we really did a lot in that first year. So I was desperately keen to get out and actually see the world. Anyway, we get to the end of 2010, getting ready to go and getting all packed up. And I'm like super excited, man, super excited. I don't remember the the details of that, that first packing up um, experience. I don't think we would have had much stuff, but we had to leave our cat behind. That was probably the most traumatic part of the thing. <laughs> But uh, I think that was the only thing it was slightly hard to move on from <laughs> was mm-hmm. saying goodbye to the cat. Anyway, we end of 2010, it was December 2010, just after Christmas it must have been. Jeez, I, can't, I should remember this. I'm pretty sure it was just after Christmas. And I remember so clearly flying into Heathrow and – it just been terrible weather. I couldn't even see the couldn't even see the ground because it was so foggy, and it looked pretty damn miserable. But the thing is, I I just matter. did not care. I was so so excited, and I don't really know how my partner felt. I don't think she felt the same excitement as I did for sure. But I remember getting off. I don't remember. I think you might have met. I think you met us at the airport. Mm. Your partner, yeah, I think, you and your yeah. partner, and then we took the train back. So at this stage, you were living in um, East London, mm-hmm. and we went with you on the train, and that takes fucking ages. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like an hour and a half or something from Heathrow. <laughs> yeah, on the um, oh, what's the line? The purple? Is it purple? Anyway, yes. the 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 blue one, the blue one that goes Victoria all the way. Victoria line. And uh, you know what? I didn't care. I was loving the whole uh, every damn minute. It was fucking freezing. <laughs> it was really really cold. Anyway, we got back to your apartment and I was just like on cloud nine, every tiny little detail of just, even though East London is probably, at least at that stage, this is pre-Olympics. So it was like the most boring place to go. <laughs> it was nothing to see, but everything was just, I was wide eyed, you know, everything even felt. Just so going different. on the tube would have been exciting because it's a first. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is that when you, you go to a place that, you've dreamed about forever and you've read about and you've watched in movies and there's, I think there's some people might find it disappointing to, to go somewhere like that and see it in real life. But for me, it was just real dream coming true. And I didn't need it to be amazing because I didn't have high expectations of what it was. All I wanted to, to do was just experience it. And it was just like breathing in new air <laughs> just felt very very alive uh those first few days i don't remember we stayed with you for not too maybe a couple of weeks i don't know i can't even remember that but hmm. so uh my partner was 
looking for work. She was trying to find teaching work in in London, which was quite a challenge. We were also trying to find apartments and can totally relate to how difficult it was and how expensive it was. Uh, I was starting at uni. So I was the uni that I was at was King's College, London, which um, the the further apart I've been from it, the more privileged I feel to have gone there. Actually, it's a quite prestigious in the UK and beautiful place. Oh, my God. Like, I feel so privileged hashtag blessed <laughs> to have experienced that because it's right in Waterloo. It's right centre of London, centre of so many different things that are famous and special about London. And this, going to the uni itself was really overwhelming because I think I didn't really have a lot of confidence then to kind of introduce myself and, and try and make friends. Uh, so I did kind of stand around on the periphery quite awkwardly, quite often. <laughs> hoping that people would just walk over and say hi. Mm. <laughs> but people don't really do that in the UK. No. <laughs> uh, and um, the study experience there was very different because mm. in Monash, it was so easy. Like back in Australia, I was just getting high distinctions all the time. But I, I felt like sometimes they weren't even looking at my essays very closely because I was just getting these good grades. With I won't say little work because I did obviously work hard, but Every, it was really, really difficult to do well at this uni. And the, the amount of reading I was given, it was insane. <laughs> yeah, it was really um, quite overwhelming. But the coolest thing was, you know, I would have my lectures. Uh, so just to explain, I was doing, at this stage at uni, I was doing a Bachelor of Arts with the aim of heading into archaeology. So that's the kind of nerd that I was, right? So my first year at Monash, I was studying history and ancient history and geology with the, you know, heading down this archaeology route. So when I was in London, I was kind of doing more of those ancient history papers. So I'd sit through these, these lectures, which were amazing. And then I would just walk out and just purposely get myself lost in London. I would walk and walk and walk until I had no idea where I was. Mm. And then just refine myself. And I, I found all these cool like little museums and, these just cool buildings and that I could explore and fuck, it was just, it was amazing. It was the best experience. But like on top of all of this was, you know, all this other stuff that was going on at home too. Right. So we, we did eventually find an apartment and we ended up living with one of um, our friends from Melbourne. who just happened to be there. And so you're flatting with them. Yeah, so we we all, we all got this new apartment together in in West London, and it was um it's always a challenge living with other people, especially but it's when even you've been more of a challenge. Yeah, yeah, but I mean it's always a challenge living with someone else and trying to kind of pretend that there aren't all these kind of issues going on. Mm. We would have my partner and I in continuation of what had been happening before, we would have these disagreements about all sorts of things and the walls are paper thin. So <laughs> I know, absolutely know that our housemate would have heard everything. <laughs> awkward. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty fucking awkward. But she was one of those very non-confrontational types, very quiet and would never have in a million years even addressed it. <laughs> Uh, there was 
once my partner actually got a teaching job, uh, she was doing quite well there. She made a bunch of her own friends. And it was it was a weird time, actually, because I wanted to be independent. I wanted to make my own friends, but I was so stuck in this feeling of needing to be the the proper husband type that I wouldn't stay out. I wouldn't go out drinking with any uni buddies or anything. I would make sure I was always heading home. And I, I was trying to think about this earlier. Like, did trying to think about whether my partner actually specifically asked me to always be home or check up on me. I, I don't probably know. Probably just the unspoken rule. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's probably it. There was definitely a lot of inference there, a lot of reading between the lines of what was expected. Well, you you built up over Melbourne, years. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, we'd been together like must have been five years already. And so, yeah, I would always come home and make sure I was home. And then she started to make her own friends. And there was one distinct memory I have where she went out with her friends and I was trying to find out where she was. But then she got really things kind of escalated because she basically refused to tell me where she was because she she didn't want to have to tell me what she was up to. It was just such a weird flipping of <laughs> the script, you know, where all of a sudden she felt like she wanted to be independent and wanted to have her own life and her own friends yeah, and not have to be checked control. up. On. And when she eventually did come home, we had this massive fight where she was just yelling at me, where I, would, I took a lot of it. I tried to explain that, isn't it just not very, it's not very fair that you're treating me now like I'm some jealous, <laughs> jealous lover checking up on you all the time where you're you're out late at night and you, you're just refusing to tell me. And now I'm the one who is the bad guy for checking up on you. And, and, and if the shoe was on the other foot too. It became a it became a screaming situation. I know I talked about in the last one about out of control rage and it became one of those situations and she stormed out. I remember this and I I remember trying to stop her leaving, like just to, you know, like don't leave, don't leave scenario. And she hurt herself because she pulled away and like fell into a door or something. And the only reason I'm saying this is a significant story is because she ended up telling all her friends about it and all her friends believed that uh, I had been hurting her on purpose. And she told me about this later and she told me that, oh, no, she tried to reassure them that actually, no, it wasn't him. It was just an accident. But the fact that she'd mm, gone to the – too late. Yeah. Like, I mean, she told them the story and then – took it back but it was like it was an attention the whole thing was like an attention thing mm. and then telling me about it as well so then I've got this additional guilt attached mm. to it and fear of what other people are thinking about me that's just like one example of of the kind of messed up it's, dynamics it's that we have manipulative behavior and emotional abuse it is, isn't yeah. it if we're labeling yeah. it that's what it is yeah and I just I just felt I remember it was such a weird time for me because I was having the time of my life, kind of, <laughs> the time of my life in the place, this dream destination that I'd always wanted to be in. But just under the surface, it's 
Yeah. So I spent a lot of time, a lot of time on my own because I just wanted to get away. I was just hoping for distractions and I found a lot of distractions, not in traditional distractions of going out and drinking or whatever. It was just very wholesome stuff, you know, walking around and going and seeing all these museums and exploring parts of London and but then coming home and just feeling this weight, like this intensity of what well, was just tension. It was just tension all the time. And also the knowledge that we had a housemate who would have heard everything that goes on, knowing how unhealthy it was and pretending that they, they were pretending that they didn't know. And I was pretending that they. <laughs> the elephant know. in the room all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. It was um, it was tough. Anyway, uh, I mean, through this, I don't have to just flick it back to you because it was about this time that my partner and I became aware of some of the stuff that was going on with you. Yeah, I guess there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. I think I'd been toying with the idea of leaving for like six months because I was getting so fed up of it's kind of hard to explain. He just, there was just nothing. I, I can't say that he was horrible to me, you know, like in the same way what you were experiencing. It just, there was nothing, like nothingness, vanilla, bland, nothingness. There was, there was and no passion. No, about anything, about anything. And I found that really, really hard and I was loving my time in London at this point. You know, I was making friends and I was going out lots because, you know, obviously coming from the Christian background and not having eyes on me sort of in London, I felt like I could really enjoy myself, whereas he would just sit at home and play video games and, like, didn't have any friends and um, was depressed. And, and I guess during this time was – when we kind of just started growing apart and I wanted him to feel, feel something, anything towards, not just towards me, but about, you know, about life. And I was excited to get out and explore and travel and meet people. And he was just like, eh. and so I just became really unhappy. And I guess this was towards the end of 2010. And um, we just started growing apart and, sleeping in separate rooms and that's I guess when it started to fall apart and because when we arrived you were kind of pretending right you were pretending that everything was okay because yeah you at that stage so it was your your partner he confided in us that you guys had actually been you know on the verge of separating and that you had been in separate rooms and now you were just sleeping together in the same room for our benefit and then just pretending and we had no idea and he didn't really talk to me he wasn't a great communicator at all so he wouldn't I'd be like just tell me what's wrong like and he just couldn't he couldn't talk to me and it was quite frustrating to be around and in the end I guess I found out that He'd been talking to other girls online, probably because I was out all the time with my friends. He was just at home online, and that just kind of 
lead to him talking to other people. And so that was sort of the deciding factor of like, I'm not doing this anymore. And because um, because it, it's funny, because at that time, he kind of approached my partner and I to kind of help with the situation. It was getting a bit, it was a bit awkward to get involved, but we were both trying to encourage him to firstly communicate with you how he was feeling, but then also to try and do something to help save it if it was that bad. And I guess it's like the same thing, what you were saying, he found it really hard or he just didn't do anything. And I think it was at, at some point while we were there that he did have a conversation with you uh, where he, well, I don't know. I don't really know the conversation. All I know is that he told us that you weren't willing to carry on. And it was quite a big deal because we had to kind of comfort him and because um, we didn't know the whole story at that stage. Mm. But we were naturally inclined to take his side because he'd come to us about it. Mm. And um, But this had been going on for quite a few months, so it wasn't just something that I had decided. I just got to a point where I was so unhappy with trying to carry the weight of his unhappiness and and not that that's necessarily a, a quick reason just to ditch someone, but there, it was stuff, you know, I won't go into the uh, details of it, but it was over a period of, say, six months. And then in the end, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. It's dragging me down. And I ended up moving out and staying with a friend of mine, which wasn't ideal. She was a drug addict. I was staying in her flatmate's room, who also was a drug addict, but was never there. And I was instructed that if I get a text message saying she's turning up, you get all your stuff and you get out of that room because she will flip. So it was a really, (laughs) yeah, it was kind of scary um, (laughs) living there, but. I was doing my best just to carry on with, you know, leaving that shit at home and going to work and putting a smile on my face. And I had a good nanny job at the time. And mm. Well, is I mean, just to go back a little bit in terms of the relationship between you and I, that, that so that had been a little bit, I mean, we'd, there'd been a lot of physical distance, but then a lot of distance in all fronts between you and I for quite a number of years. We didn't really stay in contact that much through that through that whole period but then when I moved to London of course it was starting to feel good to reconnect right we did it was a bit awkward we were, at first we were hanging but, out and stuff quite a lot yeah just, and it was quite nice didn't really know anyone and and we didn't you know mm. we'd been there for a couple of years but yeah we were hanging out quite a lot and mm. um, it was nice but it was yeah but it was this breakup which actually got in the way of that and <laughs> Um, I'm just going to talk about the way that I reacted to it because it's actually with some time apart, um, between now and then I've actually been able to understand a lot more about how I or why I reacted the way that I did. So I found it incredibly difficult when I first heard about you separating and I just couldn't deal with it. And at the time I thought it was just, it sounds too strong to say a, like an amoral Act, but when I come from my moral compass, the act of marriage or the was a sacred thing, right? And so I believed it was the wrong thing to quit. And because I had an understanding of how hard I had to try, how hard I had to fight to make a marriage work. And so basically, what happened is once I found that out, 
from your from your partner, your ex-partner. And then I remember finally talking to you about it and finding out that that was true. Uh, I think I was saying something. I, I, I don't remember the conversation very clearly, but I remember trying to convince you to give it a go and you just weren't interested. And I don't think that conversation ended very well. I can tell um, you exactly how the conversation went because <clears throat> it um, it hasn't left <laughs> So the, I didn't want to get upset about this. This is like oh, 2010. This is so many years ago. But I will never forget the moment because you asked to meet up with me in the mall in a public place and you brought my ex along with you. And after a short conversation, we didn't even sit down. You said... You didn't want anything to do with me anymore. And to be honest, that was harder for me than the actual breakup because I'd already emotionally removed myself like in terms of the breakup. And you didn't really even hear my side of the story. It was, I think, probably more because you were friends with him. He had spoken to you. And, um, yeah, I remember just watching you and him walk away and I was left gobsmacked and I didn't know what to do and I had to try and you know we're in the mall we're in a public place had to try and hold it together and um that was really tough for me because at the time I didn't have any like real friends and also on top of that I had it was weird I'd had a message from mum a text and um, I was away at, uh, at the time for work. I think I was in France. <clears throat> and she just said, is everything okay with you? I feel like there's something wrong. And I can't remember what I'd said back to mum, but she got really weird with me. Obviously, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, being Christian, you don't you don't separate and you definitely don't divorce. And so basically mum and dad stopped talking to me for a long time. And that was when I really needed, you know, his support. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was a really hard time being I mean, on my I'm, own. I'm not, I'm not proud. I'm definitely not proud of the way that I acted. And like I say, I only understand it now. I was really, I was really angry, but I realized I wasn't actually angry at you. I was just mostly angry at myself because I realized that I could never walk away as easily as you did. And it's this, uh, kind of like, in a weird way, a repeat scenario of what had happened with your ex back in Tauranga, where you had been able to say enough was enough and, and then you and then you left. And from the very beginning, I knew that I could never leave my ex that I, all the shit that I had been through, and yet somehow I knew that I was stuck for it. Stuck and I, with I, I it understand forever. that now, like, yeah. and the way she was, and I understand why you reacted like that. I <clears> guess it just, at that time, I wasn't expecting it. I really wasn't. I thought we were just going to sit down and chat, and it was just like this, this bomb of emotion, mm. and it was in a public place, and it was just like, what the fuck just happened? And I, I don't even to be I mean, I understand it. Sure. But it's so it's 
knowing how much I understand myself now, it's so out of character for me to even do that, to act in that way um, and to also not deal with it as well. There was just so much going on in my head. And I think that was just the cherry on the top. Uh, and I mean, and, and after this, I just didn't, we didn't talk. It was probably we, nearly a year. In fact, I could say that it was a year later, you sent me a message about wanting to meet up. And I was like, well, actually, we were, <laughs> we'd already left the UK. Um, and I had never even told you. Yeah, I was a low point. Yeah, a, a low that, point for me. Yeah, that was a tough time. And mm. not having any support at all, you know, from I'd get the occasional text from mum, but I knew it was just like a tick box of like, okay, I've messaged my daughter today. <laughs> mm. um, and this is really when I started to trying to reinvent myself. I was like, right, fine. I've got to do this on my own. I've got to be strong. And I tried to reinvent myself and really got into fitness and because I've always been a bigger girl, I, I guess I wanted, um, I don't know, I, I wanted to be validated. I wanted to be desirable and, you know, all those things. You know, I'd been in a relationship for, at this point, it must have been about seven years, I think, all up. And so, I, yeah, I started getting into fitness and got a personal trainer and I was running and I lost a huge amount of weight. I lost like 23 kilos and um, was feeling good and I was going out with my friends all the time. And yeah, so basically from it was beginning of 2011 um, for like a year and a half, I just was sort of, I went wild. I just went, mm. I was like, I, I don't have anybody to live for. I don't have anything stopping me. I'm just going to do what I want. And mm. I did. And it was unfulfilling but uh but makes for great stories <laughs> and i think may, maybe we can save them for the for the next episode because there's a there's at least a couple of years worth of of stuff there that we have not talked about certainly yeah. in no great detail so i think it would be great to kind of focus on that in an episode on its own um and then there are also there's also more for me to share about my experience in uh in london and the move back to melbourne and carrying on with the next few years uh but yeah so we'll pause it there we'll we'll keep chatting <laughs> we've got a lot more to talk about. uh but um join us again for the next episode of who loses it first <laughs> <laughs> if only you could uh, see my flushed face right now <laughs> uh all right Thanks, everyone, for joining us and uh, tune us again. Uh, tune in soon for our next episode of This Is Our Story. <laughs>